Amen. Thanks for using those vocal cords and your you're singing out tonight. Praise the Lord. Brenda, thank you for those good transitional chords. Appreciate all that. Not just anybody can do that. To know what chords to play there, thank you for that. Isaac, thank you. Joaquin, thank you. Good job. Praise the Lord. Do it again. Not right now, but soon. That's, that's, that's great. If you've got a Bible, turn to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 4. <clears throat> 1 Timothy. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as I read the scriptures tonight. So once you find that, join me in standing. You've been using your vocal cords. Now we'll use your legs to stand for a little bit. This series, Spiritual Warfare in the End Times, an end time survival guide. I believe that we are living in the end times, but Paul believed he was living in the end times as well. It's just that we are seeing so many of the prophesied events of the end times coming alive for us that now, for the first time, we can understand what some of these things mean that have been talked about for so many years. I mentioned to you, but back in 1979, I remember a pastor preaching and saying that he believed the Lord was going to come in 1980 because the, uh, the events were becoming so crystal clear. Well, they didn't come, and so he said, well, I believe he's going to come in 1984. He didn't come, and so sometime in the early 90s, he's going to come. He didn't come, and so I tell you tonight, the Lord is going to come, but I don't know when. I think he's going to come soon, and I believe the events are lining up accordingly. I want to read for you 1 Timothy chapter 4, the first two verses, then I'll pray and allow you to be seated. 1 Timothy 4, 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy having their conscience seared with a hot iron. One of the evidences of the end times will be those that depart from the faith. Sad. Sometimes people that have been in church for a long, long time, but all of a sudden something happens and they just leave church. If they don't go from one church to another, they leave church. I've had it. That's the way... Those Christians are going to be, I've had it, I'm done with church. And tonight we'll address that, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love, and thank you for Hope Baptist Church. Thank you for the sweet time we've had tonight singing praises to you. Lord, thank you for being our God. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Would you bless it? Would you meet with us, I pray? We love you in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In 2019, only 14% of all U.S. adults said they'd never went to church. However, in 2020, or 2020, that number jumped 53%. Almost a 40-point jump in less than 12 months. I was reading a blog, and I shouldn't do that. But I was reading a series of, uh, of, of, of uh, people posting on a site about leaving the church. One wrote, a lot of American churches have completely wrecked the Gospels. They ignored Jesus' warnings to beware of hypocrites, snakes, and wolves in sheep's clothing, cast stones at the LGBTQ plus community, liberals, anyone who doesn't like Trump or DeSantis, etc. 
and completely disregard the poor and sick, calling them lazy and bad for needing help. That's why so many people, including myself, he writes, are leaving the church and more broadly, abandoning the faith altogether. If we actually heeded Jesus' words and did what he commanded us to do, things would be very different in the States right now. But I've yet to walk into a church that wasn't full of power-hungry pastors and angry, resentful, hypocritical churchgoers. And I've been looking for quite a while, trying out church after church. The next post. I think you've nailed it here. I quit going to church just before COVID was in full swing. I don't miss being around hateful and fake churchgoers. I think they've overlooked what Christ is trying to show us. From the LGBTQ hate and getting political, I'm done with church until something changes in a big way. Next post. I hear you, and I feel the same way. I don't plan on ever going back to church, <laughs> these folks said. There's a definite departure from the faith. I've been brokenhearted as some folks who went here quit church. And I don't mean they're now in another good church. We've got some wonderful dear sister churches in the area. I have dear, dear friends in the ministry that serve here in the area. I'm so grateful. I'm so blessed. If I have a need, I honestly feel at any time, day or night, I could pick up the phone and call one of these brothers in Christ and they'd be there. But the people I'm talking about didn't go to those churches. They didn't even go to a liberal church. They quit church. In the latter times, there'll be a departure from the faith. Some will quit going to church completely. There will be a mocking of the faith. We read that last week in 2 Peter 3, 3, or two weeks ago. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, mockers. <laughs> Those that begin mocking the things. Of the faith. Oh, you still believe that creation stuff? You still believe that there's a real God in heaven? You still believe in a literal hell? Yeah. Yeah, I do. There'll be mockers in the end times. So what's the solution? The condition in the end times we read throughout the New Testament is pretty dismal. Things are getting worse and worse. And if you don't believe so, just turn on the news. No, don't turn on the news. Just, just don't do it. Don't do it. Getting worse and worse. We're not getting better and better. Society is not getting better and better. It's getting worse and worse, but that shouldn't surprise us. We know it's going to happen. I'm old enough to remember when you didn't, in public, in society, you didn't say a vulgar word in public. It didn't happen. I never heard it. And if there were a preacher with an earshot my goodness, you walk in the barber shop and everything cleaned up immediately. And you, you knew it. It's so funny. You knew it. Oh, pastors here. Preachers here. I think now when a preacher walks in, they crank it, crank it up and see how vulgar they can become. There's, 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 something, there's something different today. Our public schools are not like they used to be. I went through 
10th grade in a public school. My early days, I've told you this, my early days, we said the Pledge of Allegiance, had prayer every morning in our public schools. Now, typically that doesn't happen, but I was blown away. We were just down in South Carolina this past week, and in the backyard, literally in the backyard of where my kids are, across the pond, is a big high school. And they, they publish all their announcements on loudspeaker. So early in the morning, the alarm goes off at the school, across the football field, and the, the announcements are made. One of the first things they do every morning, Monday through Friday, is say the Pledge of Allegiance together. Now, I'm told they also pray in the classroom there. But that is highly, highly unusual. Creation has been not just, not just set alongside of evolution. It's been ridiculed and mocked for years now. There's a departure from the faith. What's the solution? Well, first of all, in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it reads, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. When he reads, or he writes here, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. I looked it up. I want to understand what he means. Terror of the Lord. The word is the same word translated fear in most places. The fear of the Lord. And we understand biblically that the fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the very elementary. It's the first thing we need to learn in our walk with Christ, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is a beginning of knowledge. Before we have a proper concept of God, we're going to have a hard time growing in our relationship with God. And it begins with what he calls a fear, a proper recognition that we're talking about the creator of the universe, the one who also created hell for the devil, the one who is holy, that God, we, His children, are to have a proper fear of Him, proper respect of Him. I love my parents. My dad's in heaven now. I had a proper fear of my dad. No, no, I didn't. I wasn't afraid to be around him. When, when dad came home, I wasn't afraid of him. But I guarantee you for sure, I had a proper respect of him because of the times he told me, okay, meet me out back. I didn't want to meet him out back because I knew what that meant. I didn't want spanked. I didn't want those times of discipline. I didn't want those. There were times that I knew he had in his back pocket. I knew he had the ability to make my life really miserable. <laughs> so I had that proper respect of him and, and, and fear of him. But I loved being around him. Fear the Lord. Paul writes, we're going to stand before the Lord at the judgment seat. These are believers. And we're going to have our works judged. Not our sins, our, our works. And he said, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So, in our end times survival, what do we do? What's the solution? First of all, we fight with the fear of the Lord. We must have our perspective of God 
correct before entering into spiritual battle. Allow for yourselves the Bible to define God. Make sure that the God that you have in your mind is the God of the Bible. So many times I've talked to people who are, are struggling in their relationship with God. Come to find out when they were young, they were abused, one form or another, or they had a very harsh, unloving parent, and, and to them, or, or an absent father. And to them, they had a hard concept of father. Father was distorted in their mind. It was a bad thing for them. So to say, I have a heavenly father, they had a hard concept of that. That's why I say, have the concept of your God rooted in the scriptures, the, the Bible definition of who God is. So many people have a hard time going before God because they think that God is nothing more than a vengeful, angry spirit up there, always looking for ways to make life hard on us. But that's not the God of the Bible. My Bible says that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That doesn't sound like a harsh God to me. That's a loving God. Jesus came to reveal His Father. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen my Father. Well, Jesus was incredibly loving, saying that if you've seen me, you've seen my loving Father. I reflect Him. You might have heard, well, I could never trust a God that allows innocent people to suffer. Well, first of all, there are no innocent people. We are all guilty sinners deserving punishment. But secondly, we brought on suffering with sin. We are responsible. Sin is the problem. Sin is the curse. Sin is responsible for all human suffering. Sin, not God. We blame God for all of our hurts, all of the bad things that happened. God, you did this. No, actually, actually we did. We brought it all on. Sin brought the curse upon the earth. You see, God's love must be balanced by His hatred for sin. If God were nothing more than just love, if He had no holy vengeance, then He couldn't be God. But God has to judge unrighteousness or He would not be God. So first of all, fight with the fear of the Lord. Have a proper perspective of who God is. Do you know God? Do you know the God of the Bible? You need to know Him. Secondly, fight with spiritual weapons. So many times we get so frustrated and angry or upset or weary, weary, uh, worried about what's happening in the end times. We go out to fight, to slay the dragon, but we do so with our own weapons. It's kind of foolish. That's kind of foolish. Take a, take a sword out. I'm going to kill those spirits. <laughs> Seriously? No, you, spite, you fight a spiritual warfare with spiritual weapons. The first weapon of our warfare, we read in Ephesians 6.16, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. 
Faith is God's weapon of choice against those evil darts, those evil thoughts of the wicked one. Faith, the Bible says here, extinguishes those fiery darts. I'm telling you, the devil is masterful at throwing those fiery darts, those thoughts that just get in them, they, they burn. They burn away, and the more we think about them, the more destruction they cause. The devil says, convinces us that God is saying, you're worthless. You're worthless. You sinned. And even if you were a real Christian, you would have never done that. You're worthless. I hate you. The devil says that God is saying. But faith says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Faith extinguishes that fiery dart. I'm not worthless. God so loved me so much, he gave his son. That doesn't sound worthless to me. God loves me. God says, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will be there. I want to be your friend. I love you. Satan, stop that. Get out of here. Leave me alone. Faith quenches those fiery darts. Faith also accesses the awesome power of God. Hebrews 11.30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Just faith. It was the faith on the part of God's people marching around the walls of Jericho. Seven days. It's faith. Now, can you imagine marching around, not saying a word the first day, and not seeing one pebble fall off the wall? You're standing next to this massive wall. Massive. And not one thing happens as you march around and you're saying, this is ridiculous. Second day you get up, okay, we'll do it. Third day, fourth day, not one thing is happening. <coughs> the seventh day, you're supposed to go around seven times. <coughs> and then you're supposed to just shout. <coughs> Had they stopped short, and not gone all the way, the walls would not have fallen down. They would have not defeated Jericho. They would not have seen God's awesome power, but because of their faith and obedience, all the way through to the end. And that's the problem. We exercise faith, but we stop short so many times because we get frustrated, we get scared, we get our ourselves in the way. And God says, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of this need. But we stop short. Faith accesses the awesome power of God. I love Hebrews chapter 11 as it lists the heroes of the faith. Verse 32, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets who through faith, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed violent in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Faith. Faith enables us to stand up against giants. Is it David? Of all the men... Uh, and, and, the, and the army there of, of Israel, 
Of all the men, little David, seriously? He wasn't even big enough to wear the armor. You're going to pick David to go against this giant? What set David apart was not his physical strength. It was his faith. Faith helps us overcome the world's snares and temptations. 1 John 5, 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. We sang it. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. How can I overcome the world, the temptations, the trials, the snares? Faith. The addict's worst enemy is hopelessness. I've tried to quit and failed hundreds of times. I don't like being addicted, he says. I don't like this life, he says. But I can't quit. I'm bound by this. I can't quit. I've tried thousands of times. I can't quit. Hopelessness. What's the answer for that addict? Faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. For faith says, God promised to deliver me. I'm going to trust Him. My victory is found in Jesus Christ. I'm going to trust Him. Faith is fear's alternative. In Psalm 56, verse 4, In God I will praise His word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Notice, notice, I, I can fear or I can faith. <laughs> it's my choice. I can choose to be afraid or I can choose to have faith. How can we find peace in the midst of the trial? And which one of us has no trials? <laughs> we trust that the God who promised to never leave us or forsake us will keep his word. Faith. Next is the Word of God, Ephesians 6, 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God, the spiritual weapon. First of all, to defeat temptation. In Matthew 4, 3 and 4, and when the tempter came to him, to Jesus, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by the bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The Word of God is our answer to temptation. The Word of God. Thy Word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee, David said. The Word of God to discern a heart's condition. Hey, Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Word of God goes down deep where nobody else can go, even yourself. We're such deceivers, and we deceive our own hearts. The Word of God has the power to go down below that deceit and to find what a person really is down deep and to expose that. Oh, I can't believe how wicked I really was. The Word of God discerns the heart's condition. The Word of God destroys the darkness. 
Psalm 119, 130. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. The entrance of thy words. When your word, the Lord, comes in, it brings light to an evil world, to evil, to confusion, to doubt, to depression. As thy word comes in, it brings light. This past fall, when we moved the kids down to South Carolina, I've been told there were big bugs down there. <laughs> I have never seen a cockroach that literally could pick up a car and carry it. My daughter called, Dad, come back here! <laughs> and I came back. I, honestly, it had to be that big. Had to have been that big. The kind when you step on it, right there, big old thing. But you know, those big old bugs don't come out in the daytime. They wait till it's dark. Those nasty, nasty bugs, they wait till it's dark. And when the light comes on, they go running. Allow the light to come into your heart. Allow the light to come in to the situation in which you're dealing. And then the Word of God delivers from hell's bondage. In 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Mankind is bound by hell. Mankind is marching headlong toward hell. Mankind is chained to the gates of hell. How can mankind break those bondage? The Word of God. By putting one's faith and trust in the revealed Word of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Thirdly is prayer. Verse 18, Ephesians 6, 18, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. What do you pray for? In the end times, how do we survive this? What do you pray for? Well, first of all, for deliverance from trials. I don't like being in trials. How about you? I don't like when the car doesn't start. I don't like that. I don't like it when this happens or this happens or you get a call from a loved one and they're in the hospital. I don't like trials. How do you get through trials? You pray. Luke 21, 36. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Well, this is specifically a provision for the tribulation saints. During the tribulation when the saints of God, those that trust Christ, are going to go through intense trials. But the application, the principle, is there valid for us today. For deliverance from trials. For deliverance from bondage. In Acts 12, verse 5, Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. The church prayed. When Peter was in jail, the church prayed for him. Prayed that he might be delivered. Behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison. And he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. Why? Because the church prayed for deliverance. Next, for deliverance from worry and fear. Now, I know none of you worry. None of you ever are worried about life or feared. 
but just in case it ever happens, just in case worry ever sneaks up on you and bites you. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, he says, Be careful or full of care, worried for nothing. But here's the solution. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So you can worry or you can pray and commit all your cares to Him. For deliverance from worry and fear, what do we pray for? Well, we pray for extra difficult situations. Sometimes, sometimes things come in our lives or, or burdens upon our heart that are, that are just too big. They're just too big. In Mark 9, 28 and 29, and when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? The man had demons. And the disciples had been casting out demons, but they came to this one, they couldn't do it. Why, why couldn't we do it? And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. As this new year came underway, I set a number of days aside to fast because I want to see God do something special, unique, and powerful in our church this year. And you see, that's not... That's not your average, Lord, would you give us food for today? No, you see, there are times where it takes more than, than just praying. And I'm not minimizing prayer. But Jesus gave us the teaching that sometimes, sometimes the burden is, is bigger than that. And sometimes you have to exercise more than just prayer. Prayer and fast. In Zechariah 4, 6, the next spiritual weapon is the Spirit of God. And he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The power of the Spirit does what man's wisdom cannot do. In 1 Corinthians 2, 3 and following, And I was with you in weakness, Paul said, and in fear, and in much trembling, which, which blows our conception of Paul. Paul says, I was with you, but I was, I was in fear with you. I was, I was trembling with you, and I was weak. I can only imagine Paul's physical stature, having been beaten so many times. And he says, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The power of the Spirit does what man's wisdom cannot. It's amazing to me, but the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus Christ. In Luke 4, verse 14, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And there went out a fame of Him through all the region round about. Verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Jesus needed the filling of the Spirit. Jesus went about in the filling, the power of the Spirit of God. 
And the supernatural power of God is demonstrated through the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 19, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Paul said it was the power of the Holy Spirit doing these mighty acts that caused folks to look up and to look to God. The Spirit of God, spiritual weapon for the end times. The preaching of the cross is one of the weapons for the end times. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Preaching here in this verse is from logos. I mentioned this morning the expression of a thought. Paul emphasized the varied responses of the gospel on people's lives. The unsaved often mock, while the saved are made stronger by it. The gospel saves us. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, but which also ye are saved. That gospel which I preached. Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, he writes. The gospel reveals the power and wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The preaching, the preaching of the cross. I want us to do more than just survive the end times. I don't want us at the end of the end times to go by the counter and pick up our t-shirt. I survived the end times. I want us to leave our mark. I want us to make a difference. Knowing the time is short, God says, redeem the time. Knowing that there are people around you in your sphere of influence that need to know Christ. If the Lord returned tomorrow morning, you who know the Lord Jesus were snatched away and immediately caught into the presence of the Lord Jesus. What would be the fate of those people that you know right now that don't know Jesus? Have you shared with them that He loves them? Have you shared with them that He has a solution to their need? Have you shared with them how good He's been to you? I want us to do more than just survive. I want to influence. And so tonight, tonight as we consider the condition of the world around us, let's not get all worried about the direction it's going. We know that. We know it's going down. We know that. We know the old world's a titanic and is sinking fast. But we also know that we are not. We've got a wonderful future plan for us. And so let's not focus 
on how bad it is out there. Let's focus on how good it is for us and trying to bring as many people as possible with us in the journey. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love, and thank you for the grace that is given us through the Word of God. Lord, we realize that we are living in the end times. We also realize how ineffective we typically are at reaching others for you. And so tonight, once again, Lord, would you help us? Would you fill us with your Spirit? Would you open our eyes to the lost around us and give us your heart for them? Give us the boldness to share the gospel with them? And I pray, Lord, that we might do more than just survive, but that we might, in fact, have an impact on those around us. Thank you for this evening, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.